Good morning, everybody. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be here with you and to worship Jesus together. So um, I appreciate Ben uh, not split-screening today, watching the game. So, um, and I trust that if you're on your cell phone today, uh, you're there to be in the Bible. Uh, however, if I do hear some yes from the back of the room, um, I'll just assume that's for my message. Uh, or if it's like, no, then that must be the Hawkeyes. So we'll, I'll just go that way with this. So, um, But it's great to have you here and um, try to get you out by the second half at least. So, uh, so let's start with this. Like, um, Can you think about times in your life where you've been around people that just like the way they are living the way they are doing life just totally shows you up. Like, it's just like you just see them and they just blow you away. Like, you just go, how do you do that? Okay. So I've had several moments like that in my life. Like, one that just really stands out to me, and I, I think I've shared this in a sermon before, but um, I had the privilege uh, several years ago to go to India, and I had a classmate in seminary that was a Hindu convert, an upper caste Hindu convert, and he was setting up a ministry over there, uh, just a profound way to reach Hindus as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so uh, the goal was I would travel around with him and then help raise awareness for what he's doing. But traveling around with him took me to some of the hardest places I think I've ever been. So uh, the first night I was there, there were three of us assigned to a small room, and there were only two beds. And another guy traveling with us was a global worker named Dave. And I had heard of him for many years. My family had supported this guy. Uh, and, and so I knew his name, but I'd never really been with him much. And so the first night we're in there, three of us were jet lagged, retired. He says, I'll take the floor. I wasn't going to push back on that. It's like, okay, not that the bed was that awesome, but it was better than the floor. And so, you know, we were going in some areas where we had all kinds of shots and we were taking pills and, and so uh, to prevent, you know, disease and all that. And so we were also sleeping in some netting, like we'd have to get in kind of like a sleeping bag and zip it shut so we wouldn't get bit by stuff. But so in spite of that, I woke up in the morning and I had red marks all over me, like something had gotten in there and bit me. And so like I was not happy. Uh, it was my first day there in India. And so uh, and it just kind of, I was waking up. I saw that Dave on the floor was also waking up and the same thing. Like he had these, these marks all over him. And his first words were, praise the Lord. And I'll have to be honest with you, those were not my first three words like that I was thinking. It was like, this stinks. Or like, what happened to my bag? What happened to my netting? And I was thinking like, okay, that's just missionary talk. Like, let's see how this rolls the whole trip. But honestly, that guy, praise the Lord, constantly came off his lip. And there were many times where that first night was, was kind of a highlight as far as like comforts go. Like there were some harder things that came our way and I really got taken, uh, I took a beating when I looked at my life and how I responded to those things with this guy named Dave. And so like, I was like, dang, I wish I could have that strength that he has. Uh, or maybe can you think about people that are just incredibly generous people? Like just everywhere you turn, like they're serving, they're doing it joyfully, um, maybe if you're privy to know these kind of things, like when there's a need, they're the first to write a check or they're the first to step forward and say, count me in. Um, when I was here early this morning, I was walking across the way to get my mic and uh, Cammy uh, was coming to get some nursery training. And I, I just, I swear, and there's a lot of you guys like this. Every time I turn around, Cammy's serving somewhere and she's got this big smile. She doesn't have kids, but she's here early. I go, Cammy, what are you doing here early today? It's like, I'm just coming to get some nursery training. And you know, she doesn't have children, but she's there serving our kids. Like, man, Cammie is amazing. Like, so when you, you see those things in other people, it, 
it stirs in you. And so we're going we're gonna to read a passage today where uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is uh, actually the way he lived his life was a lot like that too. We've been studying the book of Philippians since January. And um, it was written by Paul to a church in Philippi. These were teammates of his. He had planted a church there 10 years before he wrote this letter to them. And so in all those 10 years, like he really considered them teammates. The tone in this letter is very affectionate and positive. Um, but what he's going to do in this letter is he's going to kind of unpack a couple of things that he's learned in his life about how to be a man who is content and how to be a man who is generous. And those are two qualities that if you have those, you will turn heads. It is not natural for the human heart to go to a place of being content or to go to a place of being generous. In fact, we, we tend to go the exact opposite direction. So when those two things are prevalent in your life, it, it demands an explanation. And uh, what we're going to see today is in this, in this beautiful passage is, is that the, the, Paul's going to share with us the secret uh, to having contentment and to having generosity is going to be when Jesus Christ is first in your life. That's been a theme throughout this book, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It was one of Paul's uh, mottos, you know, that, that we came across in this book. Or he, he talked about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Like everything else in his life is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so what Paul's going to unpack for us today is the way to be people who are truly content and, and truly generous is, going to be, is to be a people who put Jesus Christ first, who find their ultimate joy in Jesus. And when that happens, God is going to get the glory because people are going to know that's not from you. And so that's kind of the whole passage here. And it's a great way to end this great book. And I, I'm, I'm privileged today, and I want you to catch this. Like the theme and the tone uh, is, is more of an invitation. This is not like meant to show you up and rub your face in it. Like, why aren't you more content? Why aren't you more generous? That's not Paul's tone. You're going to see a humility in Paul's uh, tone and that he's inviting us into the secret that he's discovered. And the secret is, is that when Jesus is the joy of our life, we will be a people who will be content and who will be generous and God is going to be glorified. So let me pray and we'll, we'll jump into this, get you home by halftime. So let's go. So uh, Father, I thank you for this great passage and I pray that you would speak through it. This is one uh, that is um, so powerful and so clearly laid out that I just need to stay out of the way. So Father, would you speak to your people today? And I thank you that throughout this whole book of Philippians, as Paul has been affirming a church, that I, as a pastor, I have the same privilege of, of seeing so many positive things going on around here, that as I speak this morning about generosity, I'm, I'm surrounded by generous people. As I speak this morning about contentment in hard circumstances, I see so many stories in this room of men and women who have discovered that secret. So I pray for them, Father, that they would be encouraged and inspired to keep doing what you've taught them to do. But God, for those of us kind of maybe on the outer ring, uh, wanting more of that in our lives, I pray that we would see your tone today. It's not guilt and shame and scorn, but it's, a, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to, to live up, to live a different way than we've been living. So, so speak and teach to us and call us up. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so we'll start reading in Philippians chapter 4. And we'll start reading verses 10 to 13. And so Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let me set this up for you. Paul, like I said, is writing a letter to people that he, you know, the Philippians, people in a town called Philippi. He planted a church there. And we're seeing here at the end of the letter, one of the main purposes for him writing this letter is that this is a thank you letter that the Philippians have just recently sent him a financial gift. If you remember clear back in chapter 2, the man's name was Epaphroditus, was a man who delivered this, this financial gift to Paul. And so what we're seeing now is like one of the big reasons for him to write this whole letter is to thank them for giving to him. And so just to put this in context again, in case you've missed and haven't been around uh, in the previous weeks, Paul's situation now is that he's in prison. He's under a house arrest. He's chained to different guards. And so it was a weird system back then. Like if you were in prison, uh, you were not allowed to leave the home. You were not allowed to work, not allowed to have a job. Um, But at the same time, you were supposed to provide for your own needs, provide for your own food, clothing, those kind of things. So you were completely dependent upon friends and family. And so Paul was you know, most likely in a time of dire need. And so this gift came to him at a powerful time in his life. He was so grateful that they have, he says, revived their concern for him. And just to give you a little historical context, when, when Paul started his ministry, it was about 10 years before this letter that he was in Philippi. He planted a church there, and then he went on to, um, you're going to see this later in the passage, a city called Thessalonica. He went to another area, and in the early days, the Philippians were funding his ministry, and he was very grateful for that. But now, for some reason, there's been a gap of time, and now this gift has come from them, and he's just, he's overjoyed. Like just, and, but what he's making clear in our section here is he's not just happy that, oh, great, now I got some money. Like what he wants to reveal to them is in the meantime, he's had many times of lack and he's had some times of plenty. And if you know Paul's story, like he's faced a ton of hardship that make like red marks on you sleeping in India for a night look like nothing. Like so uh, hit with rocks and left for dead thrown in prison, beaten, whipped. Like there are so many hardships that Paul had walked through for the sake of the gospel, all right? And so, but what he's sharing with them is like, he has learned how to be content. Even in the hardest times, um, he's content. So let's break this down a little bit. When Paul says he's content, please don't read into that complacency or that he's just settling for status quo. Like, oh, whatever. It's not a whatever. Like, content means that you are confident in every situation. It means that you're satisfied in the midst of suffering. It means that you're calm in the face of conflict. It means that you're okay when everything's not okay. Like, there's a strength about you and a consistency that transcends your circumstances. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, Paul wrote this, that con- is that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's in a whole passage where he's talking about money and wealth. He says, let me boil it down for you. Godliness and contentment will make you rich, will make you strong, will will give you life. So contentment is a beautiful quality of being calm in the face of conflict. And so what Paul says, though, is that there's a secret to contentment that even he had to learn. You would think, like, Paul, you're a stud. Like, you know so much about the Old Testament. You're a scholar. You've known God, but yet... 
Paul had to discover this secret, and the secret is this, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, that may be, I've never seen a ranking of the most famous Bible verses, but that probably has to make the top 10. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, I would say a big majority of Christian athletes that may whip out a Bible verse, like in a post-game celebration, that might be it. Or like maybe Tim Tebow, like eye blacked, like 413 under his eyes, you know, and so... And, and that's beautiful. Like anytime an athlete gives glory to God, I think that's awesome. But maybe it's fun to see it here in context. Like that verse is not meant to say, so I'm going to run faster than everybody, or I'm going to jump higher than everybody, or I'm going to score more points than everybody. Really the context here is that Jesus will give me power and strength to be able to handle any situation in my life so that I can be content if it's a time of abundance or a time of need. I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That was the secret that Paul had to learn. And Paul, again, had many opportunities to learn that. I, I, I went through some of the things that Paul suffered. And that in the midst of that, he was still strong in his faith. He's in prison when he would rather be out planting churches. And yet he's chained to prison guards. And he goes, oh, well, I guess I share Christ with prison guards. And that's what he did. He didn't settle for status quo. He was strengthened in his adversity to keep following God and to be content in that situation. And he learned that that was from Jesus. Uh, there was a time where Paul was going through an intense conflict, and this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he asked God directly, could you just remove this? He called it a thorn in the flesh. Could you just take this out of my life? And this is what he heard God respond to him. This is what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in hardship, in weaknesses, in persecutions. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul had a total reversal. We don't go that way. Like our, our tendency is to self-protect and to withdraw and to try to make things as comfortable and safe around us as we can. Um, but, but in a fallen world that, that we live in, that's impossible. We are never going to completely protect ourselves uh, from hurt. And, and Paul's not only just talking about the things that happen to us because we're in a fallen world. Um, we get sick. Uh, our kids don't act right. We struggle in our marriages. We, you know, those are things we all walk through. Paul is actually bringing on adversity into his life because of his stand for Christ. Like he is, he's so content, so uh, powered by Christ that he's not only just trying to deflect the hard, hard things that just come our way, he's actually pursuing them as he's advancing the gospel. And so, but his secret that he learned is that Jesus is the one that can walk me through this. And it, it, it makes sense when we think about it because uh, of everyone that has ever walked this planet, it was Jesus Christ who experienced the darkest hour on this planet. Like the most heinous thing that's ever happened on this planet was that the sinless, innocent Son of God was slaughtered on a cross. Like Jesus has walked through the epitome of hardship. And when Jesus hung on the cross, what we believe is the gospel message as Christians is that Jesus took on the wrath of God. He took on the sin uh, and the punishment of sin that we all deserve. Jesus put that on himself, took that on himself, and was judged and condemned by his Father on the cross like, that is the darkest thing that has ever happened uh, to anyone that has walked this planet. And yet, through that, through Jesus' death, 
and then resurrection, he proves that he has power to conquer the darkest thing that could come to any of us in this room. And so Paul learned that. He said, even in my darkest times then, I will trust in Jesus, and he will give me the power and the strength uh, to be content in any circumstance. And so um, let's, let's talk about basketball a little bit. You're maybe drifting there anyway. So let's say this happened. Let's say that you, uh, you really wanted to watch the game after this. Maybe some of you have done this. So you're taping it right now, right? And so, so you're going to go home and you're going to kind of whip through the commercials and watch the first half and then maybe catch it up live second half, depending on how long I go here. So like there's all that going on. But let's say you step out into the car and inadvertently the radio's on and you hear amazing shot, you know, Joe Wieskamp banked one in from the corner, it's so, you know, the Hawkeyes win, like just, I guess it's not Gary Dolphin, whoever's doing it now, like, it's just going crazy on the radio, and so, ah, oh, I was going to watch the game, but wow, it sounds like a great ending, let's go ahead and watch it anyway, so you, you know the Hawks won, and you go home and you, you've taped it, and let's say, this might not be out of the realm of reality, let's say you, you flip it on, and they're down by 30, and you go, like, I'll be honest, as my, I tend to be a fickle Hawkeye fan these days, but like if I saw first half, they're down 30, I'm just done. I'm going on with my day. I don't need to watch more of that, right? So, so but let's say you know the ending, so we're going to win on a bank three, Wies Camp, like, at the buzzer. It's going to be crazy. You're going to go, we're down 30? That is awesome, because that means the greatest comeback ever in NCAA history is going to happen, and I'm going to just settle in, and I'm going to watch this, all right? So totally different perspective. What Paul is saying is like, when I have been through hardship, when I've been through the lowest moments of my life, I know Jesus wins. Like, I know in the end, this is going to be good. This is going to go for the advancement of the gospel. This is going to be to glorify God, and so whatever I'm in now, let's just yeah, it's looking bad. It's looking like I'm down 30 right now. So, but what are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to work this out? And I trust you. That's, that's the mindset Paul has. That's what contentment is. And that's the kind of thing that if we live that way, guys, uh, that turns heads. Because this world doesn't live that way. And so, um, let me just toss out a couple of uh, gauges. Like, how are you doing in contentment in your life? And uh, please, like, this is not me stomping on your toes because I've been in this text this week. Like, this is stomping on mine. But remember, the tone here is God's calling us up, all right? And so here's three gauges. Man, I just see my gauges low in these three areas often. How content are you? Let me just ask this about this gauge. How, how's your complaining gauge going? Um, when we're complaining, uh, it, I mean, we don't always think about this. We just let it rip and we grumble and complain. Like, those complaints are ultimately going against God, like against Jesus, who's sustaining all things, like who is king of kings, lord of lords. If we are complaining, we're basically telling Jesus, you're doing a horrible job, like you're not even noticing me. I could do a better job than you. I've got better ideas than you. Like, what are you doing? Uh, so how's complaining going? That's a sign of a heart that is not content. How about the second one? And this is... Um, I've actually had believers from third world countries say to me, it must be so hard to be a Christian in the United States because of this second area. Let's just call it craving. Like how's the craving dial? Like we will not be content if we're constantly craving something new, something next. Like I have 10.0, I need 11.0. I, you know, whatever that is. Or 
we're on social media and it's like, well, this was our vacation, look at their vacation. These are my kids, look at their kids. Like, as long as there's that comparison, as long as there's that craving for the next thing, we will not be a people who are content. What we're saying there when we're craving is that, Jesus, you're not enough. Like, you, you're not really satisfying me. I need, I need some more. I need something else. And so watch the craving. And then the third, the third gauge uh, would be just being consumed with worry, being consumed with fear. Like, we will not be content if we're just constantly, like, afraid. That's just a great sign that we are not content in Christ. We are not drawing our power from Christ. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but that a scared Christian should be an oxymoron. Like, we're basically denying that Jesus is in charge, that Jesus is good, that Jesus loves us. And, and so um, what Paul is saying is the secret of contentment is that, is that Christ can empower us to face anything that we're facing. And so, so how, do we, how do we learn this? How do we learn contentment? I would say the key there is to just, is to just keep pursuing Jesus. Just, we need to learn more and more about who Jesus is. And the place to start is the cross. Like just get yourself in a regular rhythm of just thinking through the cross, like what that means, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life for you, that Jesus took on darkness, and then Jesus defeated darkness. Like just starting at the cross reminds you that Jesus is for you. He is relentless in his love for you. While you were a sinner, he did that for you. Not when you were good enough or when you qualified, but when you were at your worst, that's what Jesus did for you. And the darkest thing that's ever happened on this planet, Jesus d did that willingly, and Jesus overcame death through the resurrection. So so that's a place to start. Just pursue Jesus, pursue the gospel and the cross. And then maybe some practical things. I don't know if you're, if you're not a journaler. Uh, somehow come up with a way that you keep track of how Jesus has come through for you, how he's been faithful to you. We, are, we, are such, we, we have amnesia when it comes to God being faithful. Like so many times, God will provide for us in dark moments, and we may celebrate for a day or two, but when the next one comes, we're afraid again. It's like, I just wonder how many times God's going, how many times do I have to show you? Like, I'm faithful and I'm good. And so one thing that helps us when we have that kind of amnesia is just keep track. Like, are you keeping track in some way as a family or with your friends or uh, for you personally? Like, do you keep track of how God is faithful and how he's good uh, to you? So... Um, this is another good plug for community as well. Just to be, I just think of the different parts of my week where I'm in community with believers that um, I, I know many uh, believers who, if, if, when I look at them, I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God. Like there's people in this church that have wounds, that have been through really hard things. And yet I know their stories that Jesus has walked through that with them. And so to, to do this life with others where when we're in that darkness, we've got people that are there caring for us, comforting us, but reminding us of what's true. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is with you. And so, and so make sure you're, you're uh, setting yourself up to really allow Jesus to help you in those moments of darkness so we can be a people who are content, all right? So when Jesus is our joy, will be a people who are content. And then I really think from that place, these two qualities are linked. Once we're content and satisfied with Jesus, then uh, we will be released to be a generous people, to be generous. And we'll experience, I'm gonna call it the richness, the riches of generosity. There's, there are riches that come to us 
when we're generous people. So pick up verse 14, and Paul says this. Um, again, he's going back now to their gift, and he's going to talk about that for a couple minutes here. He says, um, Yet it was very kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, uh, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help uh, for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So there's three things I want to pick from this. One is, I want to just talk about how Paul elevates the Philippians as generous givers, all right? So here he's thanking them personally and how they've given to him. But I, I just want to take you to another part of the scripture where Paul just mentions uh, the Philippians and how generous they are. So it's in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5. And in verse 1, he just talks about, let me tell you a story about the churches in Macedonia. And that's where Philippi resided in this area called Macedonia. This is what he says about them, verse 2. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So a couple things to pull from that. When the Philippians were generous with Paul, they were going through a time of affliction. Like they were so appreciative of Paul bringing the gospel to them that in spite of their own affliction, their own poverty, they still gave generously. Like, wow, those guys, that's not common. Like they are generous. They have tapped into this generosity that Paul's talking about. Another thing, did you notice where he said they begged with him? Like they pleaded earnestly for the chance to give. Like Paul didn't have to manipulate or arm twist in any way. These people just wanted to give. They begged for the opportunity to give. So, so Paul kind of holds them up. He encourages the Philippians like, you guys have been very generous with me. And he's even bragged about them in other parts of the scripture. So it's good for us to see examples of generous givers, all right? So that's what we see first. And now here's a couple other things um, that Paul brings out in this short passage. One is, is that when we give, we receive, okay? You remember when he said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Uh, literally, that's a business term. And we saw some of this language in chapter three where Paul talks about what's an asset, to you and what's a liability, you know, it's tax season, we got all that going on. Paul's saying like, when you guys gave me this gift, it was, I was grateful for that. It came at a really good time for me, um, but really I'm content. Like if I have a lot or nothing, what I'm really excited about is your giving to me is gonna add to your account. Like that God is gonna bless you. You are gonna receive riches because uh, of your generosity. That's a cool promise that I don't know that we talk enough about in Christian circles. I think one reason we do is that we maybe don't talk about it is there's a whole brand 
of theology called prosperity theology. And it's kind of like some of these shameless televangelists at night that just say, yeah, if you just give me, you know, $100, you'll get a new car. You'll get a, like, it's kind of just, that's not at all what Paul's talking about here. God may uh, respond and give you financially when you give to him financially, but that's, there's no guarantee in that. And there's no, like, when, when, when the Bible talks about giving, it's not like you give so that you can, you know, get what you want or get a bigger car, a bigger house, nicer, whatever. Like, there, but there is a promise there that God is going to reward. You, you can't outgive God. And so Paul's tapping into that here. And um, for example, in Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, if you give, it will be given to you. And so um, Paul was super excited. Like, guys, because of your generosity, God is going to bless God is going to do some things in your life. And so I want to take us back to 2 Corinthians, and it's chapter 9. So it was chapter 8 where Paul lifted up the example of the Philippians of being a great, generous church. Now in chapter 9, he teaches some of these principles about that when we give to God, that he gives back in return. And so I'm going to read, it's basically, this would be a better one for you to just take some time on, on your own, both chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But I'm going to read some from 2 Corinthians 9, roughly 6 through 15. And the verses will be up on the screen. And we're going to do a little audience participation. So every time you see the word all in this passage, I want you to just yell out all. Okay, so let's have on three, all practice, A-L-L. Okay, so on three, yell out all. One, two, three, all. Good. And so you're also going to see the word every in there. So every practice on three. One, two, three, every. Okay, so what you're going to see here, it's an amazing concept, is that you will never outgive God. And that when, when you give, what comes from God is, is bountiful. It's abundant. It's all. It's every. So here we go. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must, as he has decided in his heart, must give, I'm sorry, as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, all the never are coming. So, and God is able to make... All. grace abound to you so that having all. sufficiency in all. things at all. times you may abound in Every. good work he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in Every. way to be generous in Every. way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God so just love that. Like, it's just not God will give you some back or, you know, God will kind of come through. Like, there's, there's a confidence there, Paul says, is that when you give to God, like, you never outgive him. You receive when you give because, bottom line, the heart of our God is, our God is a giving God. He's not a God who's a taker. And so, there, there is a lot of teaching in the Bible about a giving. Uh, there's over 800 times the Bible talks about money. Uh, some have said that up to 25% of Jesus' teaching was about money and possessions. And we need to get this clear. Like, God doesn't need our money. Like, God isn't, like, shaking us down because he's kind of struggling and he needs our finances. Like, that's not the tone you see in the Bible. But God talks so much about money because it's the chief competitor of our hearts. Jesus said, you're either going to love God or you're going to love money. And so what God's trying to do is speak some perspective into our life. And when he teaches about money, the heart of our God is that he is a giving 
God. Just think of the gospel that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Like, we didn't have to qualify. We didn't have to measure up. Like God moved to us. That's grace. That's generosity. That's the gospel. And so, and so when we're generous, we're reflecting the heart of our God. And, and so when we give, uh, we will never, we will never outgive our God. So, um, so that's good. So that's one. And then the other, the other kind of language in here, maybe we're reading it. You scratch your head and go, what's he talking about? Like when, when Paul said, I am well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Like what's that have to do with offering? And so, or yeah, with, with giving. And so that language is pulled from the Old Testament. That language was language used during the worship ceremonies, during the time of burnt offerings to God, that literally the offerings would, would be a pleasing aroma to God. And so what Paul is linking here with the Philippians is like, guys, when you gave me that gift, what, what excited me about that was that that's a glimpse into your worship. Like that's a glimpse into your desire to please God. Like you know God is a generous God. And so when you respond with generosity, like that just, that excites me. That just shows me your heart is worshiping a generous God. And so, so that's what Paul is doing. He's making that connection. And I don't know that we always think that way. Like when you sit down at the beginning of the year and budget how much you're giving to God, that's a reflection of your worship of God. Or when you're writing checks or giving online or uh, when you're signing up to serve somewhere, those are all expressions of, of your love for God and of your understanding. Like we worship God when we see who he is. So I don't, like when I go out on a starry night and it's clear and you just see stars everywhere, man, sometimes I just stop and go, God, you are so big and strong. And just imagine every star, like average star is like 30 million degrees centigrade. Like just like you see all of those I go, God, you're powerful. It's the same thing. Like when we give, it's just, it's a reflection. Like, oh God, you are so generous. You are so good. And, and that's why I'm giving back. And so Paul's just affirming those guys. Like when you give like that, that is a pleasing aroma to God. And so, I, and I love the anchor, kind of the anchor of this whole section is verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Like he is faithful. He provides he is good. I love those two very familiar verses. They're almost like handles in this section. Like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in any circumstance. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I can never outgive God. Like, those are the two things that Paul learned as Jesus was his joy. And those are the things that set him free to bring glory to God. Because, because seriously, if you are content in any circumstance— and if you are generous, you, you completely stand out from people in this world. Like, they will demand an explanation. Like, how do you live that way? And so what happens is God gets the glory. And so the last couple of verses there, to God our Father, to our, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So um, God gets glory through this. I, I said this a couple weeks ago, like that, that little reference there to those of Caesar's household greet you. Um, just a quick recap. 
what we think that means is that word household could mean literal family. It could mean people associated with the household of the emperor Caesar. But in either way, the gospel is around Caesar now in, as Paul's writing this letter. And you got to ask, ask the question, well, how, how did the gospel get there? How did it get from uh, a guy in prison? How did the Roman Empire be influenced so that the gospel is now around the emperor's household, Caesar's household? What we think was that as Paul was chained to Praetorian guards who not only guarded uh, kind of elite prisoners like Paul, but also would guard the household of Caesar, that as these people are learning about Jesus chained to Paul, that they're taking that gospel message into the household of Caesar and God is getting glory. Like the gospel is making inroads into one of the hardest places to get the gospel. And so it was all because of the secret of contentment and generosity. Paul, in a hardship of being in prison, didn't complain and pout. He just he just did his thing. He just shared Jesus, chained to prisoners, and then God took the gospel to the household of Caesar. And Paul, generous with his life, uh, not demanding comfort, but, but laying down his life for the sake of the gospel, God got glory by the gospel going to the household of Caesar. So, so God is glorified when his people live with contentment, when we're calm in the face of conflict. Uh, God gets glory when his people are generous with each other and generous with the world around them. And God gets glory when the gospel goes into hard places. And so let me pray for us. And um, before I pray, I would love for you, I just threw a bunch at you this morning, I feel like. Uh, could you just pause and ask God to just elevate one thing? Like what's one specific thing you saw in this passage today that you really feel like God is saying, again, not to rub your face in anything, but to call you up? Like what, what, where did you feel called up this morning? And just just talk to God a little bit about that. God, thank you for showing me I can be content in hardship. Or God, thank you for calling me to be uh, a generous person. Wh whatever that was for you, just reflect on that right now. What, what's one thing God said to you this morning? And then could you, could you ask him this? Okay, so... Father, thanks for showing me that. Now, what's, what's one step you're calling me to take? Like, what, what are you going to empower me to do this week to start moving in that direction, to start doing something about what you just showed me? Ask him, ask him for that first step. What's he calling you to do? Jesus, thanks for such a rich passage. Thank you for those two promises that I can do all things through you who strengthens me. So I pray, God, whoever it is in this room this morning that's walking through darkness, that they would see you in that darkness, that they would experience your power and that there would be calm in the midst of the conflict. There would be a satisfaction in the midst of suffering and that would clearly come from you. And God, I thank you too that, uh, again, I'm in a church of people that, that serve, that give sacrificially. God, may they be encouraged by the promises we've heard today. And God, for, for those of us that maybe just know yeah, I could grow in that area, just, just call us up to that, that life, that God, we will never outgive you, that God, you will provide for us, that God, you are so good. You are God who gives. And I just pray that the way we serve, the way that we give reflects that and brings you glory. All of that so that the gospel will go to more and more places in our city and around this world. God, thank you uh, for what you're doing. 
In Jesus' name, amen.